This is 30 Wood, a podcast celebrating the 30th anniversary of Fernwood Publishing. In this series, we talk to Fernwood authors about their work, their activism, and why radical publishing is so critical. This is a special episode. We are getting close to the end of this series, just one episode left. And to get to the end, we thought it was really important to invite the publishers of Fernwood on to talk about what that means. What is it to be a publisher and what is it like to publish radical books in a world that is far too often hostile to radical books and radical ideas? The publishers, Errol Sharp and Wayne Antony, have been at this for quite some time. And this episode was supposed to include both Wayne and Errol. Unfortunately, technical issues made it impossible for us to get Errol on the line. But do not worry, we have Wayne. And so I hope you enjoy this conversation between me and Wayne Antony, one of the publishers of Fernwood. Wayne, after talking to so many Fernwood authors, it just feels like I have to say thank you for all of the work that you do as part of the Fernwood team. And welcome to the show. Can you introduce yourself to everybody listening? Well, okay. So my name's Wayne Anthony. I've uh, been around Fernwood for, holy mackerel, 30-some years now. Um I never thought I'd end up being a book publisher, but, you know, I met Errol and one thing led to another and I'm a book publisher. Um, before <laughs> before that, I thought I might be a teacher, but then I ended up being a parent and a part-time teacher. And there you go. And then I, you know, met Errol, got into book publishing. I absolutely love it. Um, it's uh, been a wonderful, wonderful career. I just, I, I can't, yeah. It's been great. Mm. I think that for a lot of people, um, an editor, we can kind of guess what an editor might do. You can guess what a copy editor or a designer <laughs> might do. What exactly does the publisher do? Yeah, the publisher, yeah. I get asked so many times if the, if I can print this thing for you. Uh, and I have to tell <laughs> right. people that a publisher is not a printer. Uh, we actually have our own printer. Publisher, what is a publisher? Well, you know, I mean, I suppose as publisher, most of my my uh, work was as a, a development editor um, throughout the whole time. But I think publisher for us, and that's, you know, developing manuscripts with authors, uh, both right from just a, an idea through, you know, someone comes to me, they already got a manuscript written um, and and working with them to 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 get help get them authors to say what they want to say but you know on, on top of that i guess publisher both for errol and i meant we did a bunch of the other stuff that's involved um with fernwood um planning fernwood thinking about its future doing all kinds of administrative stuff you know in the early years we did everything um but as we got a little bit bigger um Errol was doing most of the kind of, you know, we'd call administrative stuff. And then, then I did it for a while. Um, so I guess in the context of Fernwood, that's what publisher means. I think in 
you know, we've always tried to make Fernwood a very collective place. And I suspect in some of the more capitalist publisher publishing play, uh, comp, uh, organizations, the publishers, the big boss, mm. but you know, I, you know, we, it, it, uh, we've tried to do things as collectively as we can. And yeah, I guess I don't know if that explains what publisher means, if you know any better now than when you <laughs> asked me the question. Of course, of course. Well, and, and you, you said some words in there that should indicate to the audience why Fernwood is a different kind of publisher. Can you describe why has it been important for Fernwood to be committed to criticizing capitalism, left-wing ideas, and carving out a space in Canadian publishing for things that might not or probably wouldn't otherwise see the light of day if it wasn't for radical publishing like Fernwood? Well, you know, that I think that's it, you know, right from the start because of our our political in, inclinations, you know, we wanted to create a space where ideas that are critical of capitalism, colonialism and patriarchy, those big 3 had a place to to live um uh, and to be heard. We also wanted to have an organization that reflected uh the values that that are are you know, underlie those criticisms. Um, so which that's why we tried it to be as collective as we could in, in, in all the things we do at Fernwood. Um, but I sincerely believe that any kind of change has to include, it's not the, certainly the only thing in, and our most, most important thing in social change, but, um, ideas about what, um, what underlies the kinds of, uh, trauma and difficulties folks have in their lives um, uh, can be um, um, explained and 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 uh, discussed and that's one of one part of making change um, you know and so it's not it may be not the most mm. important the biggest but it's certainly one part uh, you know you can't make change if you're not sure exactly what it is you want to change and where you might want to go. And that's how I've seen it. Mm. Now, this podcast is celebrating Fernwood's 30th anniversary. And you've mentioned Errol Sharp several times, who's the other publisher and founder, if I'm not wrong, of, of Fernwood Publishing. How long have you been with Fernwood? And how did you find yourself in this world where you didn't ever expect to? <laughs> <laughs> And that's, I've, I've uh, you know, thought about that many times when I, you know, so I'll go back a little bit, way, way back, you know, in my own kind of uh, education. Um, I always loved reading, always. Um, um, one of the things my mother did in, in, in my family is every one of us kids every year at Christmas always got a book. My mom was a voracious reader, so I always liked reading, but I was never very good at those subjects in school, and so I never thought this is where I would end up. Um, so I started with Fernwood in 19, I think it would be 91 or 92. Um, I got to know Errol largely through my partner, who was teaching at a university then, and Errol was traveling around the country selling his radical books and she was very interested in his books and so he would come he would spend time with us when he was in Winnipeg and I just sort of got to know him I at the time I was um teaching part-time 
and uh, being mainly a full-time parent um, with two little kids. And when my youngest started school, grade one, Errol just out of the blue called one day and asked if I could help him out uh, with some of the things at Fernwood. Um, and I said, sure. So I started out actually just doing some sales for him. And then within, oh, two years, I started uh, doing uh, development editing. And then it sort of took off from there and became mm. more and more integrated into that, the publishing part of Fernwood. Because Fernwood actually started out as Errol was, was selling books for um, a, a fairly large group of radical and you know, some more relative and mainstream publishers. That's how he started out uh, in 1978 with Fernwood Books. Um, and Fernwood Publishing came into being in 1991, 92. Wow. So that's a lot of time and a lot of books. And I wouldn't a imagine it's a fair... Yeah, I don't think it's a fair question <laughs> to ask you what your favorite books uh, were, especially as a Fernwood author. I would, you know, expect you to mention my own. Um, so, but what kind of highlights, uh, what kind of highlights do you, do you immediately think of when you look back at, at those years? Uh, what, what were some exciting moments or exciting, exciting books maybe that you were are particularly proud uh, to have had uh, a role in? Oh, wow. That's, that's a tough question. Cause I think there's different books for different places. Um, you know, we did a lot of academic books and it felt good when a, when a book would hit. Like one of the ones that I think of um, uh, uh, comes to my mind is Research of Ceremony. Mm. You, you actually interviewed Sean Wilson. I can remember getting that manuscript from Sean and it was so unusual. Um, uh, I, uh, it was, you know, written as a letter to his sons. Uh, you know, in a book meant for Indigenous research methods. And I was just um, amazed uh, part, and, and also really kind of anxious because I thought, I don't know this kind of writing um, and just worked with Sean and we, you know, developed that book, which has become, uh, uh, you know, literally tens of thousands of people have read that book. The, you know, and I guess the other thing that sticks out with me are are two authors who I've done so many books with, um, Elizabeth Comack and Jim Silver. Between the two of them, I've worked on 26 books. Wow. Uh, with those two. Uh, and they're both, I think, brilliant writers and thinkers and, and uh, in such enjoyable books. Another book that really sticks out for me um, um, is actually another person that I met through my partner, the, um, um, Anishinaabe artist here in Winnipeg named Jackie Travers. Um, we've known Jackie for a long time. Um, my partner got to know her when Jackie was still, um, in and out of jail because she was working with, uh, doing some work with women at the, the, the women's prison. Um, and Jackie's a brilliant artist and we got to know her over the years. She did a bunch of covers for Fernwood and one day she just called me up out of the blue and she said, you know what? I think we should do a coloring book. And I said, uh, Jackie, I, you know, we don't do coloring books. 
And she persisted with me over a couple of months and now done three. And they've just been, they're out of my, my sort of regular work. And I, 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 I'm so proud of them. My granddaughter now colors those pictures and she's just um, loves them. Um, and Jackie's had so many people um, contact her to say that her books have gotten them through very dark periods of their lives, um, which, you know, I think is um, unbelievable. Uh, it's just so amazing. So for all kinds of reasons, and, and so many people, you know, in, in odd places, I'll say who I am and they'll say, oh, I know, you know, a book that you published and, and you know, that book changed my life. And I think, well, that's why that that just makes it all worth it. Mm. One of the themes that has run through this podcast and that runs through a lot of the work that Fernwood publishes is the connection between activism and doing that work on the ground and translating that activism into writing, uh, into something that is digestible, that uh, has a record of what's happened, which is also something that we're not super great at doing on mm. the left. And so I'm wondering for you as a publisher and and seeing like with many decades under your belt of, of watching these books be developed and then published and then put out into the world, how have you come to understand the connection between frontline activism and writing and publishing? Well, one of the things that, that for me is so important in the books we publish is their accessibility. People have to be able to read them and understand them and become engaged with them. And so that's when I think of what I try to do to, to, to be part of that process with authors that's what I'm most focused on um, is make these ideas that you have um, understandable to as many people as possible like I said when I'm out I'm often out, out at a oh I can think of doing a whole bunch of various events with the uh, uh, community economic development network and you know somebody who's working with a community group will come up and say to me you know i've read this book or that book from fernwood um you know and it and it speaks to the to the experiences i have and the things we want to do that for me says this is where we you know we're we're going on the path that we want it to be on now, publishing is not a very easy industry. It's very low paid for the authors, and there's always challenges uh, to pay for you know everything from materials to distribution. What are the challenges that you feel are are really in front of uh, of the publisher right now? Well, you know, we're in the age of the oligarchs. The whole neoliberal capitalist age, I think, has been uh, as much the age of developing and nurturing oligarchy and and i think that's really created a lot of problems for for you know people like us because we have to to get our books out we all you know um we have to deal with with monsters like amazon and chapters um and they just make it so difficult um to get our books to people to read and you know, and, and partly they've they've risen 
and created the decline of the independent bookstore, which was so important for us for a long time. Um, we had really strong relationships with all kinds of independent bookstores uh, that um, started disappearing. So, you know, that to me is one of the biggest problems we face um, uh, is, is the, 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 you know, the bookstore is the interface between us and, and the people we want to read our books. Um, you know, we still try to, one of the other ways we try to reach uh, the readers we want to reach is by, by being in, at and involved in as many community events as we can um, here in Winnipeg and in, in, in Halifax um, so that we're there with the people that we want to have read our books. You know, the, the, the sort of emergence of the electronic book it's created some problems because it's also, you know, <laughs> in the grip of oligarchs and uh, the cost of, it's quite amazing that the, the distribution cost of electronic books is actually higher than paper books. Um, they demand higher discounts um, uh, to get our, to get our books out there. Um, and that's been a, to me, a bigger problem than, you know, the, 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 the talk about piracy of the electronic books is not as much of a problem as the, the kinds of discounts that are demanded by electronic dist distributors. Hmm. Can you give us a picture of how much the independent book sales world has changed? Like, have we lost a lot of independent stores or how has that, how has that looked, uh, I guess, even before the pandemic and then currently now after three years of the pandemic? Well, I think that started before the pandemic, pandemic, you know, the independent bookstores um, um, started to disappear. There's still, you know, lots of them there. And I think there's a bit of a comeback happening. Um, both, you know, sort of the pandemic had some impact on that, but they were starting to disappear prior to the pandemic um, all over the country. I think, you know, at one point, I, I would say we probably had relationships with 30 or 40 independent bookstores across the country. Um, and that certainly dropped um, probably by half for a while and is slowly picking up. Um, but, you know, the, the, and, and, and so much of our sales at the begin, you know, in the beginning of my time with Fernwood um, relied heavily on independent bookstores um, and we're more and more. In fact, we just had a, a bit of a um, sales review yesterday and, and the proportion of our books that are now going through chapters in Amazon is it actually surprised me. Um, how many people are actually going to those places to get our books. Um, but we still, you know, there's still some important um, independent bookstores across the, the country, Bookmark and Halifax, McNally Robinson here in Winnipeg. I'll tell you that they're, um, uh, we've had a good, strong relationship with them for a long time. But, you know, one of my old favorites, the Mondragon Bookstore here in Winnipeg, you know, it, it closed down probably probably 10 years ago now. Mm. Yeah, I had a book launch there, I think, right before it closed down. <laughs> ah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> it was one of my favorites. They always had our books up, you know, always. Mm. And we had lots of events at that 
that place. And so that, that maintaining that relationship, I think is important as a kind of, you know, part of that ecosystem of, of, um, the idea part of social change. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess we've gotten a bit uh, gloomy, maybe gloomy enough. What, uh, <laughs> <laughs> what are you excited about, uh, in the, in the world of independent publishing and radical publishing? Well, that we're still here. Um, and you know, clearly, you know, there's, there's lots of appetite for our, our kind of books, you know, um, one of the surprising things through the pandemic is we, Fernwood actually had the best year it's ever had in nine, in 2020. Um, our, you know, our, our books just exploded and it was like, there was this huge appetite for, for our kind of book. So that sort of gives me hope. There's all kinds of young folks um, that I'm meeting through my kids who are are involved in various kinds of uh, activist organizations in the city that will, you know, I'll meet them at some kind of event and mention on Fernwood and they'll go, well, yeah, I read Take Back the Fight. Holy mackerel, what a great book, you know, or, or, or you know, another book like that, which... Um, okay, you know, we're still important and, and relevant. Um, and uh, it's not just the old guys like me and Errol that are reading our books. <laughs> and talk a little bit about how uh, Fernwood has been, I don't know if expanding is the right word, but certainly I've, I've, I've noticed an emphasis on some of the imprints uh, publishing fiction. Mm. Um, so how, how has that evolved? And what's the future for, for, those, uh, for those projects? Uh, we're, you know, I, we're very committed to our, our fiction. Uh, you know, we started out, um, our, our main focus 30 years ago was actually academic books, books for courses. Um, uh, and for many years, that's what supported everything else we did. Um, um, and, you know, I think there may be this idea out there to kind of, you know, poo poo, uh, doing books for courses, but, you know, I've always encouraged that because, hey, you know, thousands, literally tens and tens and tens of thousands of people read those books and the, the books get exposed and they actually, like I said, they, they supported a lot of our other program. Uh, getting into fiction was, was a bit of a maybe not planned event. Um, the person who owned Roseway Books retired when she was, I think, 87 and Errol and Bev knew her and we didn't want Roseway to just disappear out of the world. Um, and so we, we said, well, we'll buy Roseway and, and start doing a little bit of fiction. Just a tough, tough kind of publishing to, to do. But, you know, we've stayed with it. And, uh, you know, that kind of uh, book is now, you know, probably 40% of our our publishing and, and, and sales. So we're, you know, we're moving way more away from just from academic books. Um, and as we do that, you know, it kind of builds on itself because the, the, the writers and authors get to know us and, and trust us. Um, and so more and more come to us. And, uh, uh, so we've continued to do that. Uh, expand in 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 fig like we did those coloring books. I mean, holy mackerel! And the 
20 years ago, if somebody had said we'd have, we'd have three coloring books under our belts and me even thinking about a fourth one, I got to talk to Jackie about it yet. Um, I would have said, no, that ain't, that isn't going to happen. Um, and we're finding that, you know, the academic books, which I think are still important, um, they're becoming more and more difficult. The, there's various things that are going on in, in the universities that are, are making it tougher for us to get books to students. Not, we were just talking about it yesterday, you know, for example, I think, you know, this, this uh, you know, the move in universities to, uh, you know, their anti sort of labor move and have all these precarious workers teaching courses has made it very difficult uh, uh, for us to maintain our presence there. Because just like uh, the independent bookstores, we had really good relationships with lots of um, left wing university teachers. And now, folks, it's hard to develop relationships with the uh, uh, people who teach there when they don't find out they're going to teach a course until, you know, a month before it starts and mm -hmm. they're moving around. It's, it's, it's made that, that kind of work a lot more difficult. What's next for you then? Uh, what's next for Fernwood? What are you, are you excited about um, in the next, uh, in the next, I guess, seasons that are coming out? Well, you know, uh, one of the things I'm very excited about is the, the new, the, the, the new group at Fernwood. Fernwood has, um, you know, as Errol and I are moving out, um, there's a there's a group of young folks there who all are dynamic and brilliant and, and politically um, involved. And uh, I'm uh, excited to see what's going to come out of them. Um, the ideas they have, um, they're, they're taking Fernwood, maintaining our, our commitment to political, um, publishing, um, and move, you know, bringing in new authors with new ideas all the time. I know that's kind of general, but I, I think that's what, you know, I find the most exciting about looking at Fernwood right now is I think there's this this group of young folks, committed young radical publishers that are going to keep radical publishing going, not just in Fernwood, but in Canada. Wayne, thank you so much for all of this. Well, thank you very much, Nora. I appreciate it. You've been listening to my conversation with Wayne Antony as part of the 30 Wood podcast series. Episodes come out every two weeks, so be sure to check back to hear your favorite Fernwood authors. 30 Wood is hosted and produced by me, Nora Loretto, with lots of help from the team at Fernwood. 30 Wood is a proud part of the Harbinger Media Network. Check out Harbinger's radical left-wing podcasts at www.harbingermedianetwork.com Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share your favorite episodes. Many intersectional layers to you Nothing we haven't been through before They stop me at the border Call me a foreigner Cause I question why they slaughter